Welcome to the Lucatino Show, where we can learn to reimagine our lifestyle. Dr. Uma, thank you so much for being on our show. I've read so much about you, followed your work, and I thought you would be able to impact our audience across the world. So there's so much to talk about you. So I'll let you introduce yourself and tell us about your journey into medicine, Harvard Medical, and how you moved, or you're still practicing as a doctor, but you've integrated nutrition. You're a nutritional psychiatrist, and you're also a chef. What an amazing combination. So over to you, Dr. Uma, please introduce yourself and take us through your journey from then right up to now. Thanks so much, Luke. Thanks for having me. Um, I uh, grew up in Durban, South Africa and moved to Boston to study. Uh, but as a child, I spent a lot of time with my maternal grandmother because my mom was in medical school. She's a double boarded physician herself. And so during the day, I would spend time with my grandma and I'd watch her pick fresh vegetables and help her then watch her prepare food from scratch. So food, um, nutrition, healthy eating was just a natural part. Lots of spices was a very, very normal for me to be around. Um, but also the family, uh, there were lots of doctors in my family, my mom's siblings. Um, and so I was also surrounded by science. When I began to study in medical school, I had a focus and an interest on nutrition, but I was noticing that really it's not covered. And it was worse when I began my training in psychiatry uh, because we were prescribing medications that had side effects of weight gain, metabolic side effects and other things yet. And we were being trained very well on the side effects, but not any type of intervention. And one simple intervention is how is someone eating? So I, very early on in my career, was uh, was kind of, you know, a patient was very upset with me because he thought that I caused him to gain weight. And I write about this in my book. But looking at the data, I knew it wasn't the medication I had prescribed and that he had kind of been a little heavy when he started with me. And I noticed him drinking a really large cup of coffee that is very traditional and typical in Boston, uh, Dunkin' Donuts coffee, if you've ever traveled here. And I intercepted the conversation that I said to him, before you get more upset, why don't you just tell me what you put in your coffee? And it sort of did this more instinctually than having any specific knowledge. Um, and he told me that he'd put a quarter cup of processed creamer and eight teaspoons of sugar. So I quickly, I'm not much of a calorie counter, I'll tell you, but I quickly calculated that for him on the computer. And we looked together at these empty calories he was consuming before he'd even eaten his breakfast. And I really saw his eyes light up, you know. Uh, it was almost like he had a, a light bulb go off and he saw that there was something he could do and someone had taught him something. And I realized the power of interpreting simple information to a patient, to a person, not just someone in a medical office, to understand their nutrition and how that can impact their weight and things like that. Long story short, in terms of him, he did much better. He slowly and steadily adjusted his diet. He didn't need a higher dose of medication. But most importantly, it taught me the power of that nutritional work. And I began to incorporate more of it and studied nutrition. Um, I So... For the body of work that came forward, 
I'd love to say, look, that I had a grand plan, but I didn't. I loved, you know, mental health and I loved medicine and I loved cooking and uh, loved loved the study of nutrition because I felt it filled a gap. And it came together, especially around the emerging science of the gut microbiome and support from my department chair said, you know, this, you're collecting a lot of data, you're making some interventions. Why don't you, you know, I sort of asked, what could I do with this? Could I start a clinic? Could I see patients? And that was how I founded my clinic. Um, And from there, the the body of work grew and that led to my book. So it sort of has come full circle because the book has led to people being very interested in that niche work of how food affects mental health, that food mood connection. Because most people think about food in terms of their weight, their waistline, diabetes, hypertension, they don't think about it in terms of their mental well-being. And that's really the the little niche that nutritional psychiatry fills. Um, and I was able that I was able to do. That's amazing, doctor. And I like how you've called out through your book. You know, you've spoken about medication, but you've also spoken about how no medication or therapy can be effective without looking at nutrition. And I think that's amazing because there are so many people out there who are just dependent on the medication and they think and they hope that that alone will change their life and possibly make them feel better. Well, especially in the United States, our medical system is set up where there's an there's an expectation for the the provider as well as the patient that that intervention is going to be a medication. And I do feel strongly that we are practicing defensive medicine. We are not looking at preventive medicine. We are not looking at interventions that someone can be doing under lifestyle practice. That being said, there are a lot of lifestyle medicine doctors now coming forward, a lot of integrated doctors, a lot of functional medicine doctors and providers. Um, so not necessarily just medical doctors, but other paramedical professions. And I think it's fantastic because they can offer these interventions to their patients in different dimensions and and have eye-opening approaches when someone is literally thinking, I just need Prozac, I just need a medication prescription. Um, but when you offer them more solutions, they may be open to it. And these solutions, including nutrition, can be very powerful. Yeah, I read a couple of case studies of some of your patients, and it's unbelievable how just changing their diet and adding new nutrients to their overall ecosystem of food has brought about so much of change. So Dr. Uma, I wanted to ask you about, you know, the gut-brain axis. Everyone talks about it's a two-way axis, but I love how you explained in your book about the hypothalamus, the pituitary, and the adrenal glands, and how it works together to establish that if we feel stressed out in our brain, it affects certain microflora and vice versa. Mm -hmm. You know, we had patients who had food poisoning and they started to feel depressed after a while until the entire cycle got over. Would love for you to explain that to us. Sure. So a couple of things, you know, the gut and brain um, are different parts of the body and people don't assume that they're connected other than being in the same body. But they, the two organs arise from the exact same cells in the human embryo um, and they divide up and form two separate organs which live apart in the body. So, you know, you have the brain, then you have the gut, but then they remain connected throughout life by the vagus nerve, which is the 10th cranial nerve. The vagus nerve is like a two-way text messaging system connecting this ecosystem, the brain and gut and the gut and brain, and it works in both directions. But what what is actually communicating is chemical messages. So these two organs are communicating and sending text messages to each other all the time. 
Now, when we think about um, stress and anxiety and conditions like that, we had not thought that these conditions could affect the gut. The gut has trillions of microbes that live there. They're there to help us and support us, but they can also, some of them are bad guys and they are bad players and they could actually harm us. We'll get back to that in a second, but these microbes can actually respond to levels of stress and anxiety. They actually respond to emotion and this is now being shown. So this whole system is interconnected. When we eat meals that are healthier for our body and our brain, um, you know, we tap into those plant-rich foods, the healthy fats, say from megas or however you put your meal together and those nutrients. The breakdown products that that are formed as the food is digested, the microbes interact with the food and the breakdown products are positive things like short-chain fatty acids, which are healing to the gut, which have anti-inflammatory properties. If you're eating, say, a diversity of plant foods, the phytochemicals are interacting with the microbes. So you, you, you're creating a healthy gut environment, which is what you want. But if you're very stressed, if you're very worried, if you're having a tough time at work, um, not sleeping well, all of this stuff, that also affects the microbes. But we also find sometimes when people are feeling stressed, in addition to just the emotional impact, they may be having cravings, they may be eating more sugar, they may be eating a less healthy diet, because they're simply you know, not feeling themselves. When they're not following the best diet and say they're eating mostly fast foods or fried foods or you know the unhealthy fats, um, like the trans fats and things like that, tons of added sugar, um, the breakdown products of those foods are toxic to the gut and they also feed the bad microbes in the gut. When the bad microbes flourish, they start to upset the balance and this ends up being called dysbiosis and over time can lead to conditions like a leaky gut. So I like to sum it up by saying, you know, a happy gut is a happy mood and another important factor for people to know is that people talk about serotonin as the happiness hormone. A lot of the medications for things like depression, anxiety, target serotonin, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor like fluoxetine, sertraline, and others. Well, 90 to 95% of the receptors and the serotonin are made in the gut and live in the gut. So that way people start to put together this huge ecosystem of how the brain and gut are connected. Wow. So if you have poor gut health, your mood can actually get worse or your symptoms yes. of anxiety and depression can actually get worse. Correct. And, and, and this Uma, is what I see clinically. Okay. Okay. So Dr. Uma, what about if people have a healthy gut, but they're going okay. through a lot of chronic stress in life, you know, will that also upset their gut? And can that create a change in the microbiome and the microflora? Yes, I had a patient that this happened with. She was a healthy young woman, business professional, and um, normal weight, no medical conditions, working out, um, you know, spending, really doing, trying to live, live a healthy lifestyle. And she came to me asking me for medication because she was starting to have panic attacks and severe anxiety. And I thought it was unusual because she came in saying, you know, I'm a healthy eater, I I know what to eat, I'm exercising. So I took a proper history and it turned out that although she'd not gained weight, um, she her lifestyle had changed. She had gotten this wonderful promotion at work 
And from being a person who's based in Boston and going into the office and, you know, going out with her friends on a Friday, taking her dogs for walks every day, she was not traveling. And she was traveling five out of seven days of the week, almost always in airports, on the road, um, in hotels. And her, her, because of travel, her eating habits changed. So she was eating in airports, arriving late at night, eating out of a bar fridge, eating a bar snack. She was going to more work meetings because of networking opportunities, but then everyone was drinking wine. And so she was drinking more wine or cocktails, very unusual for her. And she was eating snacks on planes and she was trying to be healthy. So if she went to dinner, she tried to make a healthy choice, but she was still eating out much of the time and less often at home. What had happened as we traced, traced this back is she had really created inflammation without realizing it in her gut. Plus the stress of having that good promotion and the good, the, the good job was also stressing her out because she had this worry about performing and keeping up and making sure she had enough contacts at these networking events. So combination of diet, lifestyle, and the stress really changed the environment of her gut. Because she continued to exercise and things like that, she, she didn't, it didn't show as weight gain, but her entire diet had changed. And so we worked on a plan to start helping her to carry snacks with her, to uh, incorporate more yoga and things that the exercises that were more calming. She, you know, she did her cardio workout and things like that, but also something to calm her down, both in the mindfulness meditation, but also really changed what she was eating. So every time she landed somewhere, she booked her flights in a way that she would stop at a supermarket. She'd buy some fresh fruits, some nuts, some things that she could have in the little fridge in her hotel, so that even if she was having to go to lots of different dinners, she can she could have some healthy options. Um, gave her some recipes that she could travel with. And she started to trick her peers by, you know, ordering what looked like a cocktail, but every maybe third one was another cocktail. And she limited herself to maybe one and a half glasses of wine, if not just one glass in the evening, she sipped it slowly. So we gave her all of these ways that she could manage to conduct her life. And it took time but she we avoided a medication. She preferred to try lifestyle changes and she was relatively stable and functioning. So it was safe to do so. And over time, we helped heal her gut. But it was a combination of the stress and worry, the dietary changes and the lifestyle changes as well. Wow. So it's a combination of lifestyle, nutrition and everything together, basically, that exactly. works. As well as this this complete, uh, you know, a good event, but a good event can also stress us out. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. So doctor, we know the science about how, you know, cortisol and stress can actually deplete lactobacillus in the gut and that affects the lining and it can lead to leaky gut. So is it suggested through your practice and your experience that maybe people who are going through chronic stress they are prescribed a good symbiotic just to kind of maintain the bacteria in their gut. Of course, from natural foods as their first preference, and if not, maybe a supplement if they're, if they're traveling. What's your take on that? My feeling is that, you know, there's a role for supplementation because none of us eats a perfect diet. Yeah. I don't think we, we, we there's a lot of, um, there has been research done using prebiotics as well as probiotics and things like uh, mood and stress. Um, there's less research that I'm familiar with around those symbiotics, but I think there's a role for them. 
Personally, I think that if you're discussing it with your provider, whom you're seeing for integrative or other care, and they have looked at what you're eating and what you're doing, the reason I think it's always important to discuss a supplement, even if it's in biotic or probiotic with your provider, is because they know what medications you're on. They know your medical conditions. Let's take grapefruit juice, for example. Fresh grapefruit, uh, healthy citrus fruit, you know, you can cut it open, you can make a fresh juice from it, perfectly fine. But grapefruit actually interacts with liver enzymes. Um, and in if you're taking certain psychiatric medications, that can be problematic. So the reason I'm saying talk to your providers, because they, they will be aware and they've been taught these different interactions that could happen. I definitely think there's a role short answer to, for having those to help us reduce the stress or maybe balance out the microbiome. But remember, food is right in front of you. It, you know, you have the power at the end of your fork. So also try to adjust that first as you're doing everything else. Awesome. Dr. Uma, in your practice, if you had to call out the top three or four foods that come into mind when you're building a gut, you know, maybe the patient's gone through antibiotics or stress or mm. just a poor lifestyle. What are those foods that come to your mind? I, I know it'll be different for every person, but your top favorites when it comes to prebiotics and probiotics from foods. I um, I think that the food groups that are super important are prebiotic foods, um, garlic leeks, onions, um, bananas, oats, all of these actually have prebiotic fiber, which feed the gut microbes. Um, I think that fermented foods and, you know, probiotic rich foods are super important, important research. We know that inflammation is considered to be a driving underlying factor for even conditions like depression, anxiety, and cognition. Now, so there was a great study done uh, at Stanford and published in summer of 2021 in Cell that looked at eating fermented foods that helped reduce inflammation. So adding in a fermented food into our diet uh, is actually super helpful. And almost every culture has one. So I'm talking about things like kimchi, miso, um, kefir, and things like that that you can add in to your diet. Sauerkraut is another one. Um, I love to encourage people to really lean into a plant-rich diet. Uh, more and more, we are understanding that the fiber, which you can only get from plants and beans and nuts and seeds uh, and legumes, are extremely important. So when we talk about plants, it's a way to bring in fiber and positive phytochemicals, all those different colors, which positively impact the, the gut microbes. Think about, you know, the anthocyanins from blueberries, the anthocyanins from eggplant. Those things are things that actually help the gut. Another one is leafy greens. So anything that is a rich green lettuce, um, a spinach, these uh, contain um, folate. And folate, low folate is associated with low mood. So it's an easy way to get in an abundance of folate and it's relatively low in calories and satiating. So these are great foods to bring into your diet. And, and um, another category is the healthy fats. You can get them from seafood sources like omega-3 fatty acids or plant-based omegas, the short chain ALA from chia seeds, flax seeds, and things like that. But the other huge uh, category is spices. You know, spices are, um, if you buy just a pure spice, they are calorie-free, salt-free, sugar-free, very flavorful really boost the flavor of your food. I think people tend to think, oh, if it's a healthy food, it can't taste good. That's 
complete opposite. There's so many ways to make healthy foods tasty. Spice is an easy way to do that. Um, so things like, you know, turmeric with a pinch of black pepper, the black pepper activates the curcumin in turmeric and makes it about 2000% more bioavailable to the body and brain. That's easy to do. So many South Asians cook with turmeric, just make sure you're putting, they also cook with black pepper. But what I do is I have my uh, container of turmeric and I have a few grinds of fresh black pepper in there mixed in. So it's always together and it's going to act synergistically. So, you know, these are these are categories that we should be just including in our every meal um, to, to help our gut. That's amazing, Dr. Uma. You know, I want to bring up a topic. It's not really controversial, but it's about the fact that there are these emerging thoughts coming up about where, you know, the carnivore, you know, followers say that fiber is a mm -hmm. complete myth. It's not needed. Now, we absolutely know for vegetarians, since they're not carnivores, it would be their source. But, you know, you know, being being a trained, certified, you know, Harvard Medical School nutritional psychiatrist, how do you all handle these emerging schools of thoughts that come up on social media and people are like, oh, fiber is bad. You can't do fiber at all. In fact, it creates more gut problems and dysbiosis. Mm -hmm. You know, so, you know, how do we educate people about the fact that, you know, these are the, you know, extremes that are coming out and they have an impact immediately because I can see people who transition diets and the impact mm -hmm. is on their, mm -hmm. immediately, their energy levels. So how do you all handle that? I'm just very curious because I'm sure you'll get a lot of questions on extreme diets and everything. Yeah. People get very, very heated up on social media. Um, so, you know, I think, I think the way that, we handle it on my platform as we always offer the scientific research. We share what's going on. We share what we understand. And we always do it with humility because nutritional science changes all the time. On any day that I quote a fact, we can probably find, find enough research articles that say something different, but it's also integrating the research with the clinical care. The way that I handle the sort of the fads that are going on or the uh, very polarized groups of people so it could be vegan or plant-based individuals who feel like you should never eat dairy or should never, um, you know, for many different reasons, never consume an animal product. Then you get the carnivores who are like, you should never eat vegetables and you should only eat liver and um, and eggs and beef and, you know, you, you're wasting your time with vegetables. So it's very polarized. You know, we, we're humans and we're meant to eat a balanced diet. And if you happen to be vegetarian, because that's your culture or how you were raised, there are ways to get your nutrients in. We just have to help guide you towards getting in those vitamins, getting in the minerals, getting in the fiber and those those foods that you can do through a vegetarian diet. If you eat, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, seafood and other animal proteins and poultry, there's a way to get your nutrients in just by balancing it up. So I always go with um, the fact that it's the source of your food. Um, you know, if you can and if you have access, you know, organic meats, pasture-raised eggs, um, you know, organic vegetables, if you can. Not everyone has access, but I would rather someone eat a whole food, like an orange or spinach, than a processed version of it like the orange juice or packaged, you know, food or frozen food. Um, and by frozen food, I mean frozen dinners, like a frozen pizza, not, you know, fr a frozen vegetable, which is fine. Um, so we offer education, we offer people solutions, and we don't get kind of 
stirred up by the controversies out there because I think that that's where people can get off track with just eating healthy whole foods and trying to balance their diet based on their gut microbiome and their condition. That being said, individuals with SIBO, which is small intest intestinal bacterial overgrowth, IBS, IBC, um, Crohn's disease, Alzheimer's colitis, it may be very hard for them to just suddenly eat a whole lot of plant food and fiber because their gut could feel very un, un um, just uncomfortable. And so that's important for them to work with a functional gastroenterologist or a functional integrative doctor to figure out how maybe doing it slowly, doing some work on healing the gut first, um, getting the condition under control. So that that I agree with. But with the polarized views out there, they're not really talking about the medical conditions. They're basically saying only eat this meat and never eat a plant, you know? So it, it gets to be very crazy. And, and I also think that... Um, social media tends to be a place where people can do some grandstanding. So they want to call you out because you sit, made something instead of having a discussion. I, I I could be wrong at any given time. And I'm pretty okay with that, you know, because if, if I'm wrong, I'll look up new research and I'll explain what I found out, but I'm not intentionally misinforming people, you know, and I think that's important for uh, just ethical use of, of social media. So Absolutely. it's a, uh, it's 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 quite it's it's quite interesting. Yeah, that's a very positive way of looking at it. Thank you for sharing your view on that. You you've been very generous about your journey, sharing your journey about your cancer diagnosis in the book as well. So I want to deep dive straight into that subject as well. You know, what's your advice to people who are going through cancer? What is what are some of the changes that you made? You know, the impact of nutrition, especially when there's chemo happening or radiation or post, you know, surgery. What's that advice you would give to people out there who are going through that journey, you know, of cancer? I think it's so, we'll, we'll get to the food last, but, but I think um, so much of it is mindset as well and how you approach this. You could, um, you know, no, no one ever wishes such a diagnosis on, on anyone, let alone yourself. But I think mindset is very important and you have to surround yourself by your tribe, your, your, your friends or family whoever are the people that support you and will, you know, just be there for you. Maybe it's uh, sitting with you after chemo. Maybe it's going with you to an appointment. Maybe it's just making you dinner once in the week, or maybe it's just giving you a phone call and checking to see how, how you're doing. And um, you've got to decide that because it can also be overwhelming when everyone in the community reaches out to you. I know that their intentions are good, but it may be too much for you. And you really have to reserve your energy and your strength to get through the treatment. That's important. Um, I did a lot of my own cooking, especially during that time, because for one thing, as you become immunosuppressed due to the chemotherapy medications, um, they really don't want you to be eating out. You, you really can't order salad at a restaurant, things that are not fully cooked. So that helped me because A, it distracted me. I love to cook. Uh, B, it offered an opportunity for me to put in my brain healthy ingredients that I love and to use the spices and 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 nurture, nurture my body. Um, when it came to specific foods, you know, I really leaned into spices. I really leaned into even healthier, clean eating, just simple foods that were delicious. But here's the other thing that I did on a day that, you know, I, I would go to my chemotherapy on a certain day of the week. 
And I remember this one day I went in, I would, my, my routine was a, a, a friend of mine drove me every day, every time to chemo. And, um, it was it was great because we I stopped I got my my Starbucks coffee um, and I was ready for my treatment and I you know usually ate a healthy breakfast and this one morning I walk in and I see a really unhealthy I think it was a donut or something like that next to the coffee and I was like you know I actually feel like eating that and it's really not a good choice but you know why don't I take it and eat a quarter of it and so I did. And, you know, I had a, a little piece of it, just a bite so that I had that flavor. Did I know it was unhealthy? Yes. But it was important for me to not restrict myself. And I knew that I was really eating healthy the rest of the time and trying to keep up with the rest of my lifestyle. Activities, walking was what I found easiest to do. Um, but that was an important moment because what it taught me is to have grace with myself and to still keep that mindset of, you know, I'm eating healthy and moving forward in the treatment. And, you know, I, I was very fortunate because I, because of these things, um, I endured far fewer side effects than a lot of other people. And so I think it's so important to, when you're facing such such terrible thing, to take a step back and just maybe plan a little bit with your family or whoever is closest to you to see how you can, you can get through it um, and reserve your energy. For, for taking care of your health because uh, different types of chemotherapy can be very fatiguing and exhausting to the human body. So that's important too. What are some of the top foods that you would, you know, you would put into a cancer diet? It could depend from person to person, but based yeah. on nutritional psychiatry, your own personal journey, you know, you beautifully laid out antioxidant foods, anti-inflammatory, all of that. What are a couple of foods that you would put out that are kind of general to everyone out there? So one of the things I found very nurturing was I made my my grandmother's uh, golden milk, you know, with turmeric. And I made it with either coconut or almond milk, a touch of honey, and I mean a touch, cinnamon and all the spices. And I used her recipe and I made that for myself every night. So I, that helped me sleep. Um, and then I really um, leaned into those colorful plant foods. So I made dishes that I liked. You know, I cooked all the all the vegetables, mostly using my South Asian spices, but in a in a healthy way. So as I had I had enough food, and if I might, I lost my appetite. I was still eating nutritious food, but I was eating less. Um, I also ate, you know, uh, organic. So I'm vegetarian. I'm plant based. So I I was raised that way. I ate a lot of tofu, but I prepared it in an interesting way so that it didn't taste bland. Things like edamame, which were fresh soybeans. Um, I used a lot of interesting fermented foods. Um, although I had to be careful with um, with some of the fermented foods, so I asked my doctor before I did that, and I would recommend that you speak to your doctor because it depends on the live active culture. Generally, these are healthy for the gut, but you know you're in a specific. Um, state of your body where you, you are, are becoming immunosuppressed because of the medications. You want to be careful about that. Um, and I think, you know, um, I I had a lot of things like a homemade granola with just fresh nuts and seeds that I um, roasted up in the oven with some flavorings that I would have healthy snacks. Um, you know, the right types if I had either um, dairy or non-dairy plain yogurts, lots of fruit and berries, things that were, I wouldn't call them, I wouldn't say that they were 
unusual recipes. They were just really simple things that I could do that were healthy and that I knew were nutrient dense. Um, so I think planning it that way and eating foods that you enjoy. And for me, it was foods with spice in them. So whatever I cooked, whether it was cauliflower or even if I was cooking broccoli, I would add my, you know, my chili flakes or my, you know, my sliced garlic or whatever it is and saute these so that they were still tasty and not not just steamed um, or bland, which I wouldn't enjoy. Great. Thank you. I'm so happy for your healing and thank you for sharing that with all of us. Dr. Uma, I want to talk about omega-3 because that's something which is like a commonality in all of your chapters for almost everything to do yep. with the gut and a better mood. So I like how you've spoken about the excess of omega-6 being inflammatory in nature. So when we look at vegetarians and non-vegetarians, the first question from a vegetarian would be, how can I get great omega-3? What are my sources that are sufficient to maintain a healthy gut microbiome, as well as play a role in case there's ADHD or depression mm -hmm. or a particular condition? So can you please take omega-3? Sure. Sure. So, you know, the um, DHA and EPA are the, the omega-3s that you find in seafood sources like salmon, mackerel, um, anchovies, sardines, herring, things like that are rich in um, the, the seafood sources of omega-3s. These are good foods to incorporate. Some people prefer to take a supplement. You know, I prefer for people to eat a few servings of seafood if they can, and if they do eat seafood, but if they don't, um, then some sources of the short-chain omega-3s or ALA, things like walnuts, chia seeds, flax seeds, sea algae. But you can also take a, um, a vegan supplement, an algal oil supplement, um, if you are plant-based or vegetarian, because it is made from the marine sources uh, of omega-3s, and that is a way to supplement your diet. So, you know, I don't think we should feel that because we eat one food or not not another um you know many people uh, certainly um certainly in india there are lots of people who were raised vegetarian so it wasn't necessarily that they were eliminating a food and i think there are ways to supplement that and still get the nutrients that you need uh, and it also it's not just that it's also everything else that you're eating um now one of the things that people need to understand about the omegas is that there's omega-3, but there's also omega-6. And omega-6 is, uh, um, is pro-inflammatory. And a lot of those are contained in the types of oils that are um, vegetable or seed oils. Uh, and these are um, more pro-inflammatory. A lot of fast food restaurants use them because they're economical. And so, you know, the fried foods in fast food restaurants actually can be very inflammatory to your gut because of those oils. But also what you cook at home with um, is important because things like, you know, um, my, my preferences and I have access to that here, sort of avocado oil or extra virgin olive oil. A lot of the other processed seed oils, even the ones labeled vegetable, uh, are sometimes very highly pro-inflammatory. So choosing that, it becomes important for your gut health and for, you know, to your point, um, really any of those conditions, because if you're creating inflammation in your gut and say you are prone to symptoms of PTSD or trauma or OCD, you could see an uptick of symptoms just by disrupting that balance in the gut. Wow. Wow. Dr. Uma, on the topic of soy, right? 
on the top of the soil. Yeah, there's so much going on out there. You know, I know that Dr. Lee Williams wrote a forward for you in his book as well, and I'm a huge fan of his work. He speaks about genistine from soy being used aggressively for treatments and cancer across the world. And then you have a lot of, you know, mixed science on soy as well. It's not about who's right or wrong. I know it has its place everywhere. But what's your take as a nutritional psychiatrist on the use of non-GMO soy, like non-GMO tempeh, edamame, when it comes to not just cancers, but just general health? Yeah. So there's a lot of uh, misinformation uh, until, you know, the researchers were clearly interpreted around it being problematic for women, um, uh, you know, and maybe potentially cancer-inducing and stuff. But I think a lot of that in terms of women has been clarified. And I think that while nutrition science does does evolve all of the time, um, healthy sources of soy, meaning things like edamame, tempeh, miso, um, organic non-GMO soy, all of these are actually products we should be consuming, especially those individuals who are plant-based vegetarian. Um, some of the, the research that gets a little bit tricky that I share in my book um, is around the fact that in mental health, so many of the medications that we prescribe can actually also affect libido. And one of the things I saw in my practice in more than one uh, individual who was male was that a slow elimination of cutting back even temporarily on certain soy products, especially if they were vegetarian, and that was something they ate a lot of, did help with recovery of libido over time. But that being said, you know, the research is not solid on that. So I would just say, if you're a male and you are either on a medication that's impacting libido or you have other conditions, for example, type 2 diabetes um, that may be affecting libido, you know, just speak to your doctor and see if even a short-term cutting back on it will make a change. I think that where people get very heated on social media is they only believe a certain fixed view and they don't integrate the clinical work um, with the research. And it's it's not every human is different. Every, every person's microbiome is like a thumbprint. So the fact that one male um, and, and one research study showed something doesn't mean all men uh, or all males will respond the same way. But I will say that for women, it's pretty it's pretty safe. And how I always end, end talking about soy is that it's a preference. You know, you, no one's forcing you to eat it. If you have looked at data and you are worried, why would you eat it? But for myself, I'm I'm at a place where I'm comfortable with women consuming healthy sources. And there's just that caveat from clinical work around around men. Yeah, no, I think that's amazing what you said. I like what you said about the microbiome being like a like a thumbprint. Everyone's different. You know, we have males who are on the obese side and they have very low testosterone. And when they put on a soy diet, it actually aggravates everything else. But yeah. fit men who are a little bit more muscular, they do so well with soy. So it's different right. for everyone and it's women as well, you know. So, yeah, no, thank you for Correct. bringing that as, as well as the fact that some of those men or women may be on a medication that's affecting, right? So, so in mental health, one of the things that we see a lot of is uh, sexual side effects. Right. On the topic of mental health, doctor, what are, what are some of the foods that have an impact on our mood? Like, you know, you spoke about serotonin and dopamine. What are two or three of these foods? Or I know we need a healthy gut and it's a process to build it. 
But what are some of the foods that people going through, you know, depression or anxiety can start looking forward to to slowly increase in their diet and replace the bad stuff with? So, um, you know, I think some of the things I would turn to are those healthy fats, olive oil, nuts, nut butters, avocados, um, and also the healthy omega-3 fats, either from seafood or plant-based sources. So healthy fats is one big category that can help. And then your B vitamins, you get your vitamin B9, folate, uh, which is in leafy greens. You get your vitamin C in your citrus fruit, red bell peppers and kiwi. Uh, you get vitamin B12 sources, uh, mostly in, in, in animal protein, um, but, you know, vegetarians could supplement. Um, you will definitely see um, improvements when you start to pay attention to things like magnesium, uh, which can be found in foods like avocado. And believe it or not, spices like saffron have a lot of good evidence for mood, but we don't cook with a lot of saffron and it's very expensive. And the studies looked at saffron in supplement form. So you can always speak to your doctor about a good saffron supplement if uh, you know if if it works for you. And that's in addition to what we talked about earlier, which is those fermented foods, the prebiotics, the you know, getting getting your basics right of how you want to be eating uh, for your gut health. But one thing that people don't realize, and I think this is important in the conversation, is you may be eating foods like very sugary foods or sugary desserts, um, artificial sweeteners, because you're trying to have the uh, diet soda, um, or you may be having nitrates in things like um, processed meat. So you know, in the U.S., People love deli sandwiches and often there's there's processed meats in them. Um, and some of those contain nitrates and nitrates actually dampen mood, worsen mood. So just knowing a few of these things becomes uh, becomes helpful. People think, you know, I shouldn't have dessert because my waistline, but actually sugar really affects your brain as well and um, can, can worsen anxiety, make your mood worse um, in the longer term. So So all of these things become important. Yeah, we want we want everyone to get a copy of the book. So there's so much more information that Dr. Umar shares on all of these conditions. You speak about sleep, and we've known for the longest time the impact of sleep on the gut. So if I had yes. to ask you for your top three foods that can have an effect, a positive impact on sleep, and maybe to end it, the top three foods that come to your mind for that can have a positive impact on libido as well. Would love to hear from okay. you there. Um, so with sleep, you know, we have um, melatonin is actually a natural substance that you can find in foods and you can find it in eggs, in certain fish, in um, walnuts and sunflower seeds and mustard seeds, asparagus and broccoli. So I always like to say to people, you know, if you eat, if you do consume eggs, have an omelet at dinner because they these are melatonin rich foods. Again, the omega-3 fatty acids show up. We've talked about those. But, you know, many people don't realize that chickpeas contain tryptophan and chickpeas can actually be a super great food to help to help with sleep and don't overlook things like teas that are uh, very sort of gentle and and kind of ease us into sleep like chamomile tea um in the u.s we have tart cherry juice and that has actually been shown to help sleep so those are just a, a few a few things to to get you started 
Um, and some libido foods are foods that actually boost oxytocin. I like to call oxytocin the hugging hormone. And you actually find oxytocin in dark chocolate. I don't mean the chocolate or candy bars. I mean extra dark natural chocolate. Um, and uh, uh, red wine, but, you know, a limited amount and only some studies showed this. So I would be cautious about that because because wine can, can work either way for libido. Um, but nuts, pistachios, almonds and walnuts, apples, avocados, um, pomegranate juice without added uh, sugars, and actually spices like saffron and fenugreek. Um, so, you know, um, spices like methi will actually help um, libido. So even incorporating that into your food, which is easy for South Asian foods, um, would be would be a good way to think about it in addition to everything else. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, Dr. Uma, I have one last question, actually two. Uh, I'm respectful of your time, but, you know, there are a lot of children and parents out there stressed because their children have autism you know, ADHD, there's adult ADHD, and you cover that really well in the book. But maybe if you could just talk about that on a minute, because for a minute, because I want that hope to go out to parents out there that, hey, there is something that can be done and nutrition can make an impact on children with ADHD, adults, as well as autism. So I'd love for you to speak about that, please. Definitely. So, you know, I think one of the things that's important for us to understand is that um, the brain can change, neuroplasticity is newer science that evolved over the last few decades that taught us that the brain can change. And one of the things that can help that is how we're eating. So, you know, with ADHD, one of the things that's important is to make sure the child, the adult is eating breakfast because research has shown that when they eat breakfast, their attention is actually a little bit better. Um, so it's important because some children or adults that are taking medication the medication suppresses their appetite. So breakfast is important. Um, things like berries and cherries, those polyphenols from onions, kale, green tea, super important. Um, cleaning up the diet, you know, cutting back on those added sugars, the colorants and dyes that might be in the processed snacks or cereals or, or, or um, biscuits or cakes that the child is eating. Um, having vitamin C rich foods like kiwi, red bell peppers, uh, citrus fruit. Um, all of these are things that they can, you can start adding to the diet. And remember that, you know, the, the Mediterranean diet, which really talks a lot about um, healthy vegetables, beans, legumes, healthy fats, um, are all sort of a basis from which you can build up the, the best personalized diet for your child or for your family. Wow, that's amazing, Dr. Umar. Thank you so much for this. If you have the attention of the world on you for about a minute, you know, based on how many patients you've seen, your experience, your journey, what is that message you would give to the audience as a nutritional psychiatrist and a doctor as well? The message is that you have the power at the end of your fork. Um, nutrition is one of the most important lifestyle factors affecting all diseases, not just mental health. My focus is mental health. It affects everything. So by the choice you make, um, you know, however you eat, that that power is at the end of your fork because it's the choice you make that really can impact your health positively or negatively um, in an ongoing way. Uh, it's, it's something you choose, you know, you don't often have a choice if you're given medication. I've been through that. Um, but but you have the choice if 
if you if you think about how you're eating. That's powerful. Thank you so much. And if people want to reach out to you or your organization, what's the best way they can, Dr. Uma? Sure. So you, they can reach me on my website um, at the moment. Uh, so that's umanaidumd.com. People contact me on social media at Dr. Uma Naidu, which is at D-R-U-M-A-N-A-I-D-O-O. Um, and so we're always happy to, you know, take questions and things like that. I, at the moment, my I'm not accepting new patients in my practice uh, because I really pivoted my work towards creating educational resources for other clinicians. And we just released the first course in nutrition and mental health at Mass General Hospital at Harvard, which is an online course that released on March 1st that people from anywhere around the world can take. Within the U.S., uh, clinicians can get credits for the course. You know, we collect continuing medical education credits here. Every country does that, of course. Um, but clinicians from all over the world can still take the course and they get a certificate. They just don't get the the credits that, you know, apply for our licensing here. But a lot of my work and energy is going into cre creating those resources so we can train more clinicians, not just doctors, clinicians to be able to do more of this work with their patients. That's amazing. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you for being so generous with all the information you shared with us. Thank it's you, a pleasure Dr. to meet you. Thanks for having me. Take care. Stay tuned for more. We're going to continue our journey learning, sharing, and evolving.